awesome to be with you this morning. Would you, would you pray with me? Here. Lord, I just felt like you gave me this picture and you reminded me of the picture described in Isaiah 6 earlier this morning. And I'd like to just pray that back to you, Lord, as we launch into what we're going to talk about here this morning. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And we just say, Lord, you are high and lifted up. We praise you. We honor you. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to another and said, and we say this, Lord, holy, holy, holy. Are you Lord of hosts? The whole earth is full of your glory. We honor you. Even the rocks cry out, Lord. Lord, we honor you. Holy, holy, holy are you. And this is what you bring, Lord. This, this picture goes on to say, the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. And we say this here this morning, Lord, we, we, are, we are people of unclean lips apart from you, Jesus. We are people of unclean lips apart from you. And we dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And we thank you, Jesus, that if we know you and we live in relationship with you, our sin is atoned for, Lord. We just thank you and praise you for that. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, and I love this, Lord. What was Isaiah's response, Lord, to you, to seeing you in all your glory, to have his, to ha- to have had his sin atoned for? What was his response, Lord? You said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And Lord, I just pray that that would be our response to what we hear this morning, that we would say, here are we, Lord, send us. And I pray these things, Lord, in your name. Amen. Well, sure enough, Judy Childs, many of, many of you know her, was discipling someone before she ran in here and gave her testimony, which is awesome. She was with two women that are, they're just dis- pursuing the Lord together, and they were praying. And I was like, man, we should just let them go. But she was uh, gracious enough to come up and share her testimony, which was awesome. So, so cool that she's doing discipleship in between services. Love it. It was in the year 2000 when John Piper was invited to speak at the Passion Conference. And he gave a message called, Don't Waste Your Life. And I want to read you a bit of what he said. Here's what he said. And I want you to, I want, I want you to know, I'm, I'm, I'm stealing Piper's words and I'm saying them to you today. He said, you don't have to know a lot of things in order to make a huge difference for the Lord in the world. But you do need to know a few things that are great and be willing to live for them and die for them. People that make a difference in the world, he said, are not people who have mastered a lot of things. They are people who have been mastered by a very few things that are very, very great, he said. He said, if you want your life to count, you don't have to have a high IQ You don't have to have a high EQ. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to have good looks. You don't have to be from a good family or from a good school, which I say amen to because I'd already be disqualified. You just have to know a few basic, simple, 
glorious, majestic, obvious, unchanging, eternal things and be gripped by them and be willing to lay down your life for them. Which is why, and I say this to you today, anybody in this crowd can make a worldwide difference. Anybody, any of you can make a worldwide difference. If I could, I would jump down off this stage, I'd look every single one of you in the eye, and I would tell you, you can make a worldwide difference. Because it isn't you, he said, it's what you're gripped with. Then he went on to say, but one of the really sad things, and I, along with Piper, say this with all the compassion in my heart, not as one who has arrived and is perfect, but full of compassion. He said, but one of the really sad things about this moment right now is that there are hundreds of you in this crowd that do not want your life to make a difference. All you want is to be liked. Maybe finish school, get a good job, find a husband or a wife, a nice house, a nice car, long weekends, good vacations, grow old, healthy, have a fun retirement, die easy, no hell. And that's all you want. And he said, and you don't give a rip whether your life counts on this earth for eternity. And he said, and that's a tragedy in the making. That's a tragedy in the making. He went on to say, there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy the American dream. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, and I would say the same thing. Don't buy that dream. Don't buy it. For any of you that pursued it as long as I did, it is so meaningless. It is so unfulfilling. You get done striving every day, college students. I would, you know what was crazy? I was pursuing my med school degree, uh, not med school, I'm sorry, my, my uh, pre-med degree in undergrad. Meanwhile, I'm listening to Ecclesiastes. I'm not, I don't even know if I was a believer at the time, but for some reason I decided to listen to Ecclesiastes on the way to school. And I'm being told that everything I'm doing is meaningless. I'm like, you mean to tell me this boring bio lab that I have to sit in for four hours and my experiments never go right, this is meaningless? And I'm pursuing med school, I'm like, come on, you know? But I would, the Lord was starting to work. He said, don't buy, Piper said, don't buy that dream. The American dream, a nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement. As the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did. And then he said, don't waste your life. Don't waste it. He was challenging the people in the crowd that day to know Christ and to make him known. And as I alluded to just a minute ago, if you currently are like I was before I started walking with the Lord, and you've bought the American dream, or maybe you've just said, you know what, God, this is what I'm going to do in life. Whatever it is, this is what I'm going to do in life. And you can either, you can bless it, or you can not bless it, but this is where I'm headed. You're, either, you're saying to God, which is sort of what I, I'm telling you, this is, I almost said this verbatim, certainly with my actions, you can either be with me or without me, but this is where I'm going. If you've done that, I want to plead with you to heed the words in John 12, if you'll turn there with me, and if you'll stand for the reading of this passage. John chapter 12, verses 24 through 26. This is one of my favorite passages. Someone after the first service said, do you have a favorite passage? <laughs> and I said, anybody who knows me knows I've got like 50 of them. But um, this is one of my many favorite passages. John chapter 12, verses 24 through 26. I plead with you, heed these words and live them out and apply them. So in verse 24, it says, truly, truly, Jesus is speaking, by the way. I say to you, 
unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So as Jesus usually did, he starts with an illustration from the world, the real world. And he talks about this, this wheat plant, so to speak. And he says, if this thing grows up, produces seed, and then as it starts to die off, the seeds can scatter. If they fall to the ground and the conditions are right, they will multiply themselves. Or a, a farmer can take wheat seeds, scatter them, put them in the ground, and as long as it falls to the ground, it'll multiply and, and, and dies, the, the, the plant dies off. When the plant does it on its own, the plant dies off. It scatters the seed and more plants come. So at first he's starting to talk about plants. Now he starts to talk about people. And he starts to get personal. He said, whoever loves his life loses it. In other words, if you love your life so much, you want to chase the American dream, you want to live for money, you want to live so you can have a trophy wife or a trophy husband, or you want to live so that you could be, have more degrees than a thermometer, or you want to live for all these different things. He said, if, that, if you want to pursue worldly accolades and worldly rewards, ultimately you will lose it. But he says, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me and where I am. There will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You may be seated. Thank you. I had to die to the American dream. I'm telling you guys, I wanted, this is exactly what I wanted, and this is no exaggeration. I wanted to be a doctor, but the reason I wanted to be a doctor, despite what I would have told you, which was to help people, and there might have been some, uh, an ounce of truth to that. The reason I wanted to be a doctor is so that I could live in, a, in a, um, not just a mansion. I mean, I wanted a sprawling mansion. I wanted a pool outside, a pool inside, maybe a basketball court inside. I wanted to drive at least four different Bentleys, but my favorite one is the one that has the cream interior with the wood trim, you know what I'm talking about? I wanted to take nice vacations. I wanted to live in the lap of luxury because I wanted ultimately security and comfort and stability. Those were my, my gods, essentially. And the Lord challenged me clear as day. I remember I was sitting in my parents' living room, and for the first time ever, not ever, but in several, several years, as long as I can remember, I decided to open the Bible and have a quiet time because I had just recently decided to walk with the Lord, and I did one of these. You know what I mean? Okay, God, here we go. Boop. And I opened the Word. You, but God being sovereign and gracious, you know what it opened to? Matthew 6. And for those of y'all that know Matthew 6, he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on, heaven, or treasures on earth where moth and rust are going to destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. He says you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. It later goes on to say, look at the birds of the air. Look how well I take care of them. Look at how well I take care of the flowers of the field. Don't you think you're more important to me than they are? And then he goes on to say in Matthew 6, the classic verse, which is so, has so much meaning. It's so meaty. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added unto you as well. Now, he's not promising mansions and Bentleys and nice vacations. But he's saying, I'll fill you with things that will fill your spirit up way more than any of those things can. Way more. So I just want to ask you guys right from the top, what might God be asking you to die to in order to multiply your life in Christ through discipleship, which, by the way, should always include evangelism? What might God be asking you to die to in order to multiply your life in Christ 
through discipleship and evangelism. Now you might say, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? I asked the question. In fact, I asked the question as recently as five years ago. I was reminded of this between services. I was going through a really tough time, and I said to the Lord, Lord, can I just do something else? I mean, there's got to be something I could do that's easier, more comfortable, will make me a whole lot more money, and I'll, I'll make some disciples on the side. I'll do it on the side. I, I, I promise. I'll keep doing it. And man, I'll tell you, the only reason I didn't do it is because God, by God's grace, he didn't let me go. He didn't let me go. And he was calling me to it. I wanted to give up, but he, did, he didn't let me go. And I, and I had resolved I was going to live for what Jesus wanted me to do, period. And I am convinced that it's worth it. That's the other thing he reminded me of. And when you need encouragement to know if it's worth it, I want to share with you another one of my favorite verses from Matthew chapter 19, if you'll turn there. Matthew chapter 19, and I love this story because there's so many good things going on here. You know what Jesus got, just got done doing before we read the verses I'm going to read? He just got done asking someone to die to himself. The rich young ruler comes up to him and he says, Lord, tell me what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, okay, well, you basically got to, and this is my summary, by the way, this isn't word for word, but he says, you basically got to follow all the commandments perfectly. And he has the audacity to say, by the way, have you guys ever caught this? Well, all of these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus has got to be thinking, you've got to be kidding me, right? Because in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned, including the rich young ruler, and fallen short of the glory of God. So Jesus is like, okay, let me go straight to the heart. And he says, there's one more thing you have to do. You have to sell everything you own and follow me. And what did he do? He walked away sad because he wasn't willing to do it. And the disciples yet again were like, man, Jesus, Jesus is setting the bar high. And they're, like, who can, and they, they're asking, who can do this? Who can do this? And I love what Peter says, picking up in verse 27. Peter said in reply, and I just get the impression that he's like, you got me. But what will there be for me? Can you just encourage me? <laughs> what will there be? Peter said in reply, see, we've left everything and followed you. We're willing. I'm in. He said, what then will we have? And Jesus said to them, and listen to this, what a promise this is. Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on the glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father, some people have left their family so they can follow Jesus. Some people's family said, you want to follow that Jesus? Don't come around here anymore. And they still do it. Or mother, picking back up in verse 29, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold. You can have a million dollars on this earth, or you can have the equivalent of a hundred million dollars in eternity. I'd rather take the hundred million, whatever that looks like. Now, I'm not saying God's going to give you a hundred million dollars. I'm just saying, think of whatever you want now, and take it times a hundred. And that's what you'll get in eternity if you follow Christ. Isn't that awesome? A hundredfold and will inherit, inherit eternal life. But many who are first in this world will be last in the new world. And the last will be first. Here's what the message says. I love what the message says. Jesus replied, yes, you have followed me. 
in the recreation of the world when the Son of Man will rule gloriously, you who have followed me will also rule starting with the 12 tribes of Israel. And not only you, but anyone, including you, if you follow Jesus and you give your life to him and you go be a fisher of men like Jesus challenged his disciples to do and therefore is challenging all of us to do. If you follow him and go be a fisher of men, anyone who sacrifices home, family, fields, whatever because of me will get it all back a hundred times over. Not to mention, by the way, this is the message version, considerable, the considerable bonus of eternal life. Yeah, I'd say so. That's a pretty considerable bonus. This is the great reversal, it says. Many of the first ending up last and the last first. The great reversal. Y'all, I am so convinced eternal rewards will outweigh temporary earthly rewards. Live for eternal rewards. In Matthew 4.19, when Jesus was inviting one of his disciples, he said, come, follow me. And then what did he say? Does anybody know? And I will make you fishers of men. I hear some people saying it. So why did Jesus want his disciples to follow him? And I would add, I would then extend that to you. Why does, what is one of the big reasons Jesus wants you to follow him? It's not the only reason, but it's a major one, a very important one. It's so that we could all be fishers of men. The way Jesus wants to spread the gospel is through us, y'all. Through us. How do we know that? The Great Commission, Matthew 28. You are Christ, we are Christ's ambassadors, 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Timothy 2.2, which we're just about to talk about are just a few of the ways we know, and then Matthew 4.19, just a few of the ways we know that Jesus wants us to follow him and be fishers of men. So, Caitlin, if you would go to this picture, I have decided, y'all, and I want to invite you guys to decide today that you're going to give your life to this. Regardless of what you do for a job, regardless of where you live, regardless of how many kids you have, or if, if you get married or if you don't get married, any of that stuff, I want to challenge you guys to live for loving Jesus deeply, but if you love Jesus deeply, in fact, um, a, a woman right after the first service came up to me and said, love fuels it all, and I said, yes, if you love Jesus, you'll want to do what Jesus did, and what did Jesus do? He loved others. He was a fisher of men, and he wanted all of us to be a fisher of men, so I want to challenge you to resolve today that you're going to live for this. What is this? This is an Indian pastor named Edgar Sathaluri. Now, I don't know the guy, but I've just heard his story. And what did he do? He invested in the row of people behind him who are his Timothys. So this goes with 2 Timothy 2.2, where Paul said to Timothy, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust a reliable bin who will also be qualified to teach others. That's four generations of believers, y'all. Paul being the first, Timothy second, reliable men, or, yeah, or faithful men third, and others fourth. And so... That's what Edgar did. Edgar invested in the Timothys that are behind him. The Timothys behind him invested in the reliable or faithful men behind them. And the faithful men invested in the others behind him. And how rich is that dude? <laughs> I'd say Edgar is, or, in, in fact, somebody's going to say it in one of their testimonies here today. I think it's uh, Rob. He said, I'm, I'm one of the richest guys alive because he's invested in people. I would say so is Edgar. But you want to know what else I would say? and I'm going to say a lot today, I want you to know that by God's grace, with his strength, and with his help, and very importantly, for his glory, because it's not about you, for his glory, you could be like Edgar. 
you could be like Edgar by just investing in a couple of people at a time. So here's what we're going to do today. We've talked a lot about why discipleship, how discipleship, um, the biblical basis for discipleship, even why is discipleship worth it. We've talked a lot about that stuff. So you know what we're going to do today, and I'm so pumped about this. I, I can't tell you how excited I am about, about what we're doing today. We're going we're gonna to share stories, lots of testimonies, lots of stories, so that you can just learn from these folks who share about what they're doing, and it's not rocket science. I guarantee it. And you could do it, and I want you to be inspired by their stories, and I want you to ask God to give you a God-sized dream of how he could use your life, because I guarantee you he wants to. I guarantee you. I want you to ask God to give you a God-sized dream, and then I want you, and then we're going to do some Q&A, and that's where the practical stuff is going to come. If you want more practical help and you've got a question, ask it, because I'm going to do my best to, uh, to help you at least with a little more info in response to your question. Not that I'll answer it perfectly, or I may not even have the answer, but I will do my best to help you get a little further down the road. And that's where the practical stuff will come. And then most importantly, I want you to walk out of here convinced that you can do it because of the God that is in you. I want you to walk out convinced. So first story we have is from Dewey Lee. Dewey, if you would come up, he's going to share about how the Lord has used him as he's trusted God to reach others through evangelism and discipleship. Thank you, Dustin. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to be in front of you to be able to describe what that discipleship meant to me. I first heard the term discipleship when I was a graduate student at Auburn University. And understanding that, I really never was discipled. Now, I got to learn how to serve. I got to learn how to use my gifts over the years, but I had never been truly discipled. I had been discipled by, in groups or individuals during that time period, which led me to how to use those gifts, particularly, but it was not until I came here uh, to Living Hope that I was challenged with telling my stories, using the skills that God had given to me, and the words that had come from other people. And I finally understood he was wanting me to disciple. Mm. And the great part about that is in that journey, um, I was challenged to lead Ironman, right? And by leading an Ironman group, obviously, we're going to be pouring into other men, right? And so, uh, Lucius, Malcolm, and I uh, had this opportunity to do that, and so we still continue that part. But in, during that time period... I asked God, I said, Father, how do I do this? What do you want me to do? Now, I spent a life in agriculture all these years. And that life, and he spoke to me in a way that I could fully understand it. Mm. And he said, Dewey, plow new ground. Mm. <laughs> plow. I can understand that. Mm. What does that mean, new ground? Plow. Mm. Well, plowing is tilling. It's loosening up the soil so the soil that can produce new life, brand new life. Mm -hmm. That new life comes in the way of what? Fertilizing, watering, nurturing. And that's what he wanted me to do, is do that. So I came in uh, in that time that in, uh, with plow new ground, and quite honestly to an agronomist, that's a pun, okay? So I, and my wife is the punster of our family. But anyhow, 
I met Dustin. And Dustin, in this process, started telling me about discipleship programs and, and what he had been doing, and they were starting a new journey called Nobleman. I said, hey, can I come along? Mm -hmm. You know, can I be involved in this? Because at that time, I was really, um, I don't know, just burdened in a way to disciple the five men in my family. And I needed a structure, something a little bit different because they were all in a professional life, okay? And so this is what we did. We went through this, and I realized, yes, this is what I'm looking for. This is sort of a structure in which I can take professional men and lead mm -hmm. them together and one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. So at that time, I said, you know, Father, and I'm going to read some notes so I get it right. I said, I answered God's call, all right, this way. I said, Lord, I'm not wise enough. And he said, you're right, <laughs> but I am. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, now I'm fighting God at this point in time. I said, but what if I make a mistake? Oh, you will, but I am sovereign. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay. I said, but it's going to take so much. And he goes, you're right. Die to self. I thought, okay, this is the coup d'etat. i got to do this one. I said, but I'm still working. He goes, oh, yeah, you are. Plow new ground. Mm. Totally convinced. Discipleship, this is what it means. Now, ladies and gentlemen, listen. It's living life together through teaching, memorizing God's word, reading it together, sharing that word, confessing, praying together, growing in Christ Ultimately, what is it? Ultimately, is bringing glory to God. Mm. Every one of you in this room has an opportunity, I think, to do just that very thing. This is a journey. It's a painful journey. It's a joyful journey. It's ugly. And it's beautiful. Mm. But what is it truly? It's eternal. Amen. Okay. Have a difference. Make a difference in eternity through this discipleship. For me, the confidence came in a very, just a segment of John 15, 4, when he said, abide in me and I in you. Well, that first part, that abide, is an active verb. It's a primary verb. It's called meno, I think it is. And it means literally to remain as one, together, continue to be present, kept to live as one in Christ. This, guys, this is God's way of bearing real fruit. Learning, working, coming aside, others, discipling. Amen. Amen. Thank you, dude. Right. Amen. Amen. One of the things I love about Dewey is there's no pastor title before his name. Now, you could put a lot of different titles before Dewey's name. But pastor's not on there. Reverend's not on there. You know what I mean? Professional Christian is not on there. He, he, he works a regular, to use the term, a regular job. And he just makes disciples. I love it. And you know what? With God's help, by his grace, with his strength working through you, you can be like Dewey. You could be like Dewey. All right, any questions at this point?
We've got another testimony. We've got more stories. Yeah. Got any questions at this point? Anything from how to to what does the Bible say to what do I do if someone I reach out to someone and they don't want to meet with me to uh, how do I set up a discipleship time? Any of that stuff. One that got texted in is uh, resources you'd recommend. Yes, resources. So first of all, Pastor Holt just got done writing his book, Grow Up, which is awesome, and we're so excited about it. I think that's going to be a phenomenal book, and if I were you guys, I'd get my hands on that as fast as I could and just use it. Would people help? Say, hey, let's go through this book together. There's transformational discipleship here at, the, at church, one and two. I would encourage you to go through that, but here's the thing, and here's, by the way, what Edgar did. Here's what Dewey did, and this is what I say to everyone I meet with every time I meet with them. Hey, let me show you this stuff I learned in Transformational Discipleship 1. It helped me grow, and I think it'll help you grow. That's why I want to share it with you. But here's another big reason I want to share it with you is because I want you, I'm praying and hoping and trusting that you are going to turn around and share it with someone else. And then you know what I say the next time we meet and I share some other tool that I learned in Transformational Discipleship 1? I say the same thing. I, I think this helped me grow. I think it's going to help you grow. But just so you know, I'm praying, hoping, and trusting that you're going to turn around and, and, and share it with someone else. And then you know what? Within about a month or two, I start asking, hey, who are you going to share these things with? Who are you going to share these things with? And some other ones are Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman, probably one of the best books on ministry methodology I've ever heard. Another great book that um, I read, another great book that's deeply impacted me is The Lost Art of Disciple Making by Leroy Imes, a great book. Um, there's so many resources out there, but the, you know what the best resource is? Go ask someone who's six months to a year ahead of you in, your, in their walk with Christ. Go ask them to disciple you, and then just do what they do with you. Do what right. they do with you. Got one here in the back. Uh, sort of in the same vein of what you were talking about, uh, what's, what does it look like, or what's a practical way to, um, if the Lord has laid, let's say, like a non uh, follower of Jesus on your heart, um, and you can't really say, like, hey, let's read, like, Master Plan of Evangelism yeah. or something like that together, or you want to truly introduce the gospel to them, or maybe they're not open to a Bible study yeah. yet or something like that. Um, how would you go about creating uh, a discipleship or discipleship-like environment in that yeah. situation? Like, how do you pour into somebody who's not exactly a follower of Jesus you know, more, I guess, less of a discipleship and more of an evangelistic yes. kind of thing. Yeah, so good, and man, I could, we, could, we could do a whole, like, session on this, and I'm going to try to just blitz through some things real quick, but um, what I would say, first of all, is when you get with them, keep it organic. Here's what I wouldn't say. Hey, I realize you don't know Jesus. It's my job to tell you about Jesus, so you're going to get coffee with me here in about two days, and I'm going to share the bridge with you. And you're not going to, which is basically the gospel illustration, you're not going to leave the, my presence until you come to know Jesus. I would not do that, okay? <laughs> I would not do that. Instead, what I would say is, um, hey, David, I'm just going to use David as an example. Hey, David, um, man, I, it's just been a, a blast getting to know you, man. I was thinking, um, man, I, I, sometimes I just like to get together with people, get to know them better, and just get lunch sometime. Uh, would you have the opportunity to get lunch this week? And hopefully David's like, sure, let's go get lunch. Should we go get lunch? And then when I get with them, I'm thinking in my head, life, word, prayer. Life, word, prayer. Now, with a non-believer, I may not necessarily pray with them. I might. I might. But I'm definitely going to pray before the time and after the time. 
And I'm going to ask David all sorts of questions about his life because I will say we want to be good question askers as followers of Jesus. We want to be good question askers. So I'll ask David, hey, tell me about your life. Tell me about how things have been growing up. Tell me about your spiritual journey so far. And I'll just gather information and then I'll say, and then I might say something like, well, um, based on your spiritual journey and where you're at, um, I, I just thought, you know, what came to mind was maybe a verse or what came to mind is an illustration. I've got three illustrations I could share with you. I can't do it today. Three illustrations I could share with you that are fun illustrations with non-believers. One's called the well, one's called uh, the bridge, and, and there are two different versions of the bridge. There's a short bridge and a long bridge. And I might share these illustrations with them. Um, or I might share a story. Something with non-believers that's great is stories. Let me share you this story about how my life, your testimony is a great tool with non-believers. Your testimony is an awesome one. So anyway, I could talk a lot more. And then I would get with David again. As long as he shows interest, I'd get with David again. Um, and so, all right, we're going to have another testimony here, another story from our very own Rob Calpot. So Rob, if you'll come up, Rob's going to share how he has trusted Jesus to reach others through evangelism and discipleship. Thanks, David. That was in the mid-1970s, and I remember the pizza, and I remember the pizza parlor in Yonkers, New York, where I grew up. I was a, a teenager. I remember the Volvo that Bill Hobson picked me up in, this 1970s-era car that he would pick me up in to take me to choir practice on Thursday nights. But I remember going to the pizza place one night after choir. And I remember ha something happened there as a young believer that I'd never seen before. He said, we, he and his wife were there, and he said, we're going to bow our heads, and we're going to ask God's blessing. And for the first time, I was like, you, you, you pray in public? And you pray over a meal, and this was just completely alien to me. And I thought, this is crazy. So I bowed my head, and I kept one eye open, just in case any of my friends happened to walk in and were wondering what kind of weirdness was going on over there. But I share that story because I didn't know I was being discipled at that time. And I don't think Bill and, and, and Nancy were standing there going, we're about to disciple you. But they did. They didn't pull a gigantic Bible out and start teaching me theology as a young believer, and Pastor David mentioned that last week, you know, that that's not necessarily how you start this. And they were wise, and they took me out, and they encouraged me, and I sat there, and here's what happened over that course of those, the, the, uh, right at the pizza, at the pizza moment, I began to understand, I began to understand how they lived. And over the course of time, they were discipling me, not by what they necessarily taught me, but how they lived. And they lived through a lot because one of the things that went on very early on was that they had an infant child who had cancer and had a tumor behind his eye. And I remember watching them walk through this as a 20-something-year-old couple in our church, and my faith began to develop and grow, and my prayer life began to develop and grow as a result of watching them and their lives. And more was caught than taught in those moments for me. And it was one of the most powerful moments for me as I grew up as a young believer. Well, then came college age for me and, um, and the D'Angelo brothers up in New York. Matthew, Mark, and John. They're, I'm no joke, they were 11, uh, 13, 11, and 9. And I didn't know it, but I was starting to mentor them. I was 18 or 20 years old. I was just walking alongside them. I took them to the movies downtown New York and whatnot, and just starting to walk alongside and starting to share my faith, and in particular with Mark. And Mark was the first person I ever led to the Lord. 
And Mark was in my car, and this kind of goes against what, um, <coughs> what Dustin just said. But I was so fired up about sharing my faith with Mark, and Mark was sitting in the passenger seat in my car, and I told Mark pretty much that if he didn't accept Jesus, I wasn't, he wasn't leaving the car until I wasn't <laughs> unlocking the door until he accepted Jesus. And this is a true story, and I just recounted it with him the other day. Um, but he accepted Christ, and um, I would not necessarily recommend that as an <laughs> evangelism tool. What God was doing in this process, though, for, for me was developing a passion for generational impact. And anybody that knows me knows that that's one of my hot buttons. What Bill and Nancy didn't know back in the restaurant in those years was they were laying a foundation that is impacting generations nearly 50 years later. And um, it started with a slice of pizza. Back in the early 90s, I got involved in high school ministry. It's a too long a story to go into. I almost, it almost didn't happen because of my fear and insecurity. Then in 2009, I got asked to lead a group of high school students in Kennesaw. And they're up there on the, up there on the screen. Um, the fella in the white shirt, his name's Andrew Stout. And he happens to be here today. And I'm going to embarrass him. He's standing over there. Um, Andrew is going to kill me for putting that picture up. <laughs> Andrew is married with two kids right now, and he's about to mentor college students in our church in the new college mentoring program. That's awesome. Which is a shameless, not so shameless plug for our college mentoring program. We college students, we've got a bunch of adults that want to pour into you like crazy. So come see me afterwards, and we'll set you up with that. So 20 years ago, I got asked to mentor college students, and I almost said no to that as well. Um, but I didn't. And I've got to obviously condense 40-something years of this. Um, but I had the opportunity to pour into a fellow named Brooks Lamont, who you might know, who's now on staff. Brooks would pour into Evan, who I think just walked out. I was going to have him stand up. Evan pouring into Cannon. <laughs> So, Cannon, if you want to just stand up for a second, Cannon's standing over there. And Brooks is out of town, otherwise this would have worked really well. But you've got Brooks pouring into Evan, Evan pouring into Cannon, and Cannon is pouring into, starting to pour into freshman guys. I get to pour into each one of those guys as well. So this tree is going in all sorts of directions. And I think Evan right now has actually stepped out to pour into um, middle school students here at church, which is mind-blowing to me. And... Um, and Brooks is involved in, in home groups, so a plug for Brooks. But here's, here's where I want to close up. It's just there's always someone coming behind. There's always someone who's a few steps behind. And um, I've been in awe of how God multiplies the investment. And I was hesitant to post this picture. But this picture, the Lord just kind of reminded me, because this is not about you. And it's about my math and how I multiply it. And that photo is from uh, at my birthday, I think, actually this past year, represents a portion of the guys over the last few years that I had an opportunity to have some level of impact hmm. um, on or with. People often ask me, what does it take? Or what have you given up? And it takes being available. It takes being willing to do what, who, where, whatever God sends you or leads you. I've probably given up a bunch. I've definitely given up a bunch of time. 
But all of that is so worth it, and I would not change that at all. And Dustin stole my line. Um, but I've been told, I've been told I'm one of the richest guys on the planet. And at first I didn't understand that. But over the years, I am one of the richest guys on the planet. Because I get to watch Jesus move and work in the lives of so many. I love college students. I love being able to pour into, into them and watching them discover who Jesus is and watching their lives grow and then watching them pour into others. So I want to challenge you as, we, as I hand over the mic. If there's something that you're afraid of, if there's something that's holding you back, don't. Because you never know what that slice of pizza can lead to in somebody's life. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Rob. Praise God. With God's help, by His grace, with His strength, and for His glory. Rob said it. It's not about Him. It's about the Lord. You can be like Rob. You can be like Rob. I might have time for a 30-second question if you've got a... Yeah, there's a really good one yeah. here. How do you know if you're healthy enough spiritually or emotionally to disciple somebody? Oh, baby. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Turn there real quick. You've got it. I love 1 Corinthians 1. Starting in verse 26. I this is one of the most encouraging passages to me. You ready? By the time I read this verse, you have, there's no excuses. There's no excuses, okay? You ready? For consider, and I mean that with love, by the way, just so you know. Okay, verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. In other words, these, peop yeah, these people didn't have their act together. They didn't have everything figured out. And a lot of people would have looked at them and been like, I'm not learning anything from you. But it goes on to say, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak. Do you know that the most powerful, I'm telling you, this as sure as I stand here today, the most powerful impacts I've had in terms of fruit of ministry has been when I have been at my weakest. When I've been at my strongest, there hasn't been much fruit. When I felt like I've just knocked it out of the park, discipleship session, just smacked a grand slam, yeah, nothing. But when I'm weak, feeling like I'm not doing anything good, that's when God always does the most. So God, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to, um, I'm sorry, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being, and this is the kicker, and Rob said it, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Jesus is our wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you are weak, you are fully qualified. If you feel like you got a lot to learn, you are fully qualified. In fact, if you're proud and think you've got everything figured out, you're kind of unqualified. So with that having been said, would you bow your heads with me? And as you do... I just want to say, don't waste your life. Instead, trust God to make your life count by dying to any plans, dreams, desires that are getting in the way of you walking wholeheartedly with Christ. And I plead with you to not waste time on the trivial things of this world that aren't going to matter. 
And as you have your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to think, I want you to ask God to give you a picture, a God-sized picture of how he can use your life if you trust him to use you through discipleship and to be a fisher of men. Give them, yeah, Lord, would you just give people a God-sized picture? Prayer team, if you would come up, and as we worship, I just invite you, if you want someone, if you want to share your dream with someone and you want to receive prayer, do it. If you're, if you're scared but you want to trust God for this, come get prayer. Yeah, if you, if, you, if you think you're unqualified and you want to trust God to be used, come get prayer. And so, Lord, I just ask that we would go, therefore, and make disciples. We at Living Hope would go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That literally, because of people that have impact, been impacted here at Living Hope, who have impacted others, who have impacted others, your gospel would go to the nations. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then you say, do this knowing that I am with you, even to the very end of the age. Lord, would we be confident that you are with us, and would we go reach the world for you? And I pray these things in your name. Amen.